0: We begin a new sermon series this week called Getting the Gospel. Getting the Gospel. The Gospel, as you may know, simply means good news or to proclaim, a proclamation. And as Christians, we have a particular good news, don't we? That we have received, that we experience, that we have to share. I can tell you the Gospel has impacted everything in my life. It impacted how I was raised. It impacted what college I went to, my career path, my marriage, my kids, my social context, my friendships, the stewardship of my life, how I invest the best of my time, talent, influence, treasures into God's work. The gospel impacts everything. But as I thought about this series and the privilege of kicking it off, I I thought that perhaps I wonder if we have a gospel problem today. As you look around our culture, the gospel does not carry perhaps the same weight it did, say, several decades ago. We're not sure this good news, are we allowed to take it with us to the workplace, to our schools, to other places where we're connected? Even in our own church and the churches around the world, I wonder if we even have a common understanding. I lead our new members process. I see some of you that have recently become new members. And we always pause, and I have a flip chart, and I'll just write the word gospel on it. And then I'll ask this question. If one of your friends came to you and said, I just started going to church, and they said something about the gospel, I don't know what it is, but you go to church all the time. Can you share with me the gospel? Would you have a good response? And so I get my marker and I just start writing what people think the gospel is. And we create an amazing list. And then I tear it off and I say, so if you just gave this to your friend, they would be good, right? They would understand it and know what to do. Well, the answer was no. Because even though we had a lot of amazing things, they're kind of all over the place. So even within the church, do we have a good foundation and understanding of the gospel? I'll let you be the judge of that. But I can tell you in the next six weeks, if you hang in there with us, you will leave here. You will have a good understanding and foundation to this thing we call the gospel, the good news. Vince Lombardi, this is an off week for the Bears, so I can feel like I can talk a little bit of Packers with you. Vince Lombardi was the famous football coach who... By all else, his team knew the basics, the foundations, the fundamentals of football. To play for Lombardi meant that you were solid on the foundations. And in his famous speech, he held up a football, looked a death stare into his players and said, Gentlemen, this is a football. And from there, he went on to explain the basics and the foundations of football and how the Green Bay Packers would play. If you played for Lombardi, you knew the foundations, you knew the basics. In a similar way, we are going to go return to the basics, to the foundations of what this thing called the gospel is really all about. And when you leave here, you will have not only a good understanding, but you will know how the gospel translate, translates into your life, because the gospel changes everything. Now, I need somebody to hold my football. Will you hold my football? Can you catch it? There you go. Last service in contemporary, I threw the football and a mom intercepted it from this boy I was throwing it to. And so I said, maybe the bears are not off this week. Maybe they are very much alive here with the interception. Anyway, I digress. I want to trace with you a little bit of the history of how we've got, where we've gotten at today with the gospel. Because 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came, when he began to teach... With the apostles, with the writings we have of Scripture, with the early church, their gospel is perhaps a little different than the gospel we proclaim today. Because see, back then, it was very much focused on Jesus. And we're going to look at some of these Scriptures. Jesus was at the center of the gospel. But what has happened over the course of history... And there's been some very huge dynamic shifts. The Reformation was one of those. Kind of Western revivalism and the awakenings and all of these great things that God has used for his church. What we communicate and the focus of the gospel is perhaps a little different than it was long ago. Because today, what most often, when we say gospel, what we're talking about is personal salvation. It's a personal salvation gospel. Are you going to heaven when you die? Are you saved? And if not, then someone would share with you or they'll hand you a gospel track that goes something like this. God created this world and it was good and he created us to be in fellowship with him. But sin entered the world and it separated us from God. In fact, the Bible tells us we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God. And there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But thanks be to God that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And that if we would only believe in Him, we can have the hope of eternity. If that is your heart, you can pray this prayer and receive Jesus right now. Does that sound familiar? Do those sound like some of the the right points of the gospel? Well, the answer is yes. See, now have you scared to answer? Yes, they are. Have lives been changed through that gospel? Absolutely. Mine is one of those. In fact, I actually served on a Christian ministry for years that had four laws, and I traveled around the world sharing very much that same gospel. The question I have, is that the gospel of Jesus and the Scriptures and the early church, or has it shifted a little bit to have something else at the center, meaning us, our salvation? And the other question I have is, if that is the gospel, then what does the Christian life look like? If it's all about getting saved, if I'm going to heaven when I die, I'm good. What does the rest of the Christian life look like? And what's it supposed to be? That's a little bit what I want to talk about. Dallas Willard, who was a good, was a good friend of Christchurch, um, said, there is a potential danger in this personal salvation gospel when all we need of Jesus is his blood, to forgive us our sins so that we can be saved. If all you need of Jesus is his blood, then we've created vampire Christianity, he calls it, where the person is still at the center, not Jesus, not God, but the person and their salvation is the focus of the gospel. He goes, and if that's the case, then the Christian life is optional or fuzzy or we just don't always know. Get saved, be good. I think God intended a little more for His gospel than just get saved, be good. So let me frame for you what the Scriptures share with us about the gospel because I want us to have this foundation for where we go in the weeks to come. Because whether it's Jesus, whether it's the, the writers of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, whether it's the early church or Paul, there is an amazing consistency to what the gospel is all about. And I want to start there. If you opened up your Bible to Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1, it's the very first verse of the, of the New Testament, this is what you would read. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If you were to flip to Mark, the very next book, chapter 1, verse 1, and Mark would have been written before Matthew, we read this. This is the beginning of the good news, this is the beginning of the gospel of who? Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it's written in Isaiah, the prophet. In those two verses, what we find is that we can't jump from Genesis chapter 3, Son into the world, to the crucifixion of Jesus, that his blood saves you, because Jesus and that sacrifice would make absolutely no sense. Because Jesus is rooted in a story of God a plan that God has been moving through history that is leading to the culmination of something amazing that God himself is going to enter in, that he's going to bring his kingdom to bear. It's Jesus as Messiah, which means king and ruler. It's Jesus as the Son of God, right? And he's rooted in Abraham and David, the prophets, that all of Scripture is valuable because it, gives us what the, it shows us what God has been doing. Jesus himself, if we were to fast forward a little bit into chapter 1 of Mark, we read this. After John had been put in prison, John the Baptist, he had kind of ushered in the ministry of Jesus. Now Jesus is on the scene. This is what Jesus says. It says, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus. The gospel is about God and his kingdom breaking into our world. And Jesus says to respond to this gospel is to repent. To stop keeping yourself at the center, whatever direction you're going, but to put me at the center of your life and to believe in the kingdom that I am going to reveal, that I am going to show you and teach you, that I'm going to invite you into. These verses tell us that we do have a king who rules, that we have a Lord that we must follow, and that through him this good news has with it salvation, absolutely, but also new life and purpose and meaning and ministry and so much more, a a lifetime of life change becoming more like Jesus himself. The early church articulated the gospel this way. This is in 1 Corinthians, and this is Paul writing to the church there. And there's many gospeling passages, if you will, throughout the New Testament, and they are all very similar to this. Paul says, "'Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, literally the gospel I gospeled to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I gospeled to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain.'" For what I have received I passed on to you as first importance. If you want to know what Paul is all about, he's telling you right here as first priority for him. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and many more. And then in chapter 11, because some people were starting to preach this gospel, very much what he just articulated. He goes, whether it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you have believed. The gospel was centered on Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation, and inviting us into his life, into those realities. I think of it like this. If... If we were going to, if Jesus was here today, maybe he would tweet, I think it's tweet, I'm not a big tweeter, gospel. And if you double-clicked on gospel, the page that would pop up would be Jesus himself. It would be Jesus is the Christ, it would be Jesus completing the story of God and ushering in a new day. A new day that connects us to the very realities of God himself. And to do that, the invitation was simple, Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Jesus didn't say, believe a few things about me so you can go to heaven when you die. Jesus says, follow me and you will find life both now and forever. So if the scripture is about, the the gospel and the scripture is about following Jesus into his kingdom, then the question is, where exactly are we going with him? And that is a good question because that is the focus of our sermon series. I like to think of it as an MRI. Some of you may have had some MRIs. I had an MRI on my shoulder. I had some old baseball injuries that needed fixed. And so uh, there's this one reality of my shoulder. But within it, there's these images that you get to see in an MRI that actually shows you these multiple dimensions, many these things that are going on within this one reality. There were a couple of things wrong in my shoulder, but there were also some things that worked right. But the MRI gave Images of this one reality, in the same way the gospel is kind of like an MRI, we have these these interworking dimensions that are happening in our life that is far more than just being saved. Dan Meyer, in his book, Witness Essentials, uh, presents the gospel as an acrostic to show us kind of an MRI form what is happening in the reality of the gospel in our lives, and this is the template for our sermon series. This is what he says. The gospel is getting right with God. Justification is the fancy word for that. And it begins there. But it's also overcoming our character flaws. Sanctification. It's setting a course for our life by reliable truth. That's the the, revelation. It's the reality of the scriptures and the spirit in our lives. It's participating in the renewing of this world. It's redemption and reconciliation. It's enjoying life beyond death. Resurrection both now and forever. It's it's love with the greatest love of all, glorification, where love becomes our new operating system. What you find when you put Jesus back in the center of the gospel and you follow him in his life and his death and his resurrection and his exaltation, you find you are invited into an amazing good news that connects all these realities, all those realities that we just had up on the screen of the gospel come into your life and deepen and unfold and change your life forever. The gospel impacts everything. Now, has that been your understanding of the gospel? Perhaps it has. Or perhaps you're being stretched a little bit. And that's fine. I want to look... That's just the first image, the first MRI image, if you will. And that's the G in the gospel. Getting right with God. Justification. I want you to leave here remembering what that word means, justification. What does it mean? It means getting right with God. Good. you remember that? Good. Good, good, good. good. Let me unpack that word a little bit. It's a, justification is a legal term. Okay? It's a term of acquittal. It's this holy God extending us a divine pardon for those who by faith would receive his grace. And while we say it's a free gift, it really isn't because justice had to be served. The penalty still had to be paid, and of course, we know that is what Jesus did. The personal salvation gospel that maybe I was a little tough on gets this very right that Jesus did die to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin, and the sin of the world, so that we could be justified, that we could be in right standing with God himself that opens us up into an amazing new reality. But that's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. I want Scripture to just speak to you about this reality because all of those words the, of, within the gospel, the gospel MRI, you will see and hear in these amazing verses. In Romans chapter 3, <clears throat> We read this. The righteous, this righteousness, being right with God, it's given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath, the penalty of sin, through him? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to him through his death, through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life that we are connected to? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The relationship is restored. In Titus chapter 3, we read this. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done. That's moralism. And if anything, moralism may be the great threat to the Christian faith because so many people walk around, even within the church, saying, what does it take to go to heaven? The question goes, well, I just try to be a good person. Right? The Scripture says it's nothing good that we do that saves us, but it's because of God's mercy. He saved us by the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's new life. It's what baptism pictures with the death. We die with Christ, right, so that we could rise to a new life being connected to him, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. All of those themes in these verses. But we begin with repentance. We begin by believing those very words, and in Jesus himself, we Repent and believe, following him into his kingdom where Jesus is both, yes, our Savior, and there is salvation, but he is our Lord because we follow and commit our life to him. If Lombardi can make a game as simple as holding up a football, hold up the football. So you thought you were done with this sermon series. Good job, don't fumble it. If Lombardi can make it as simple as holding a football, then perhaps we can make this beginning point of the gospel as easy as the ABCs. Not all of them, because that would be too many letters, but literally A, B, and C. Justification is the beginning point. Getting right with God or having Him make us right with Him is the beginning of the journey. And whether you find yourself over a long period of time coming into that beginning, or whether it's like Someone shot the gun at the starting line and it's like, wow, I am now in a race I was never in before with the Lord. Um, Whatever your context, there is a beginning. And to enter into that beginning, we do three things. First, we acknowledge. We acknowledge our own sin. We acknowledge Christ as the hope, our Savior and Lord, that we cannot do it ourselves. And in fact, the road we're going with us at the center will not be good enough. That we need God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. We acknowledge that. Then we believe the depth of who Jesus is and who God is. And this amazing plan that God had been working from the Garden of Eden all the way up to when he would open up his kingdom to everybody. Who would believe by faith. And not just believing, but we commit our life to following him. If there's been the one miss in the gospel of our day, is that we have not stressed it's the committing, it's the following part. It's much easier to believe a few things so we can go to heaven. It's much different to commit our life to following Jesus by the help of the scriptures and the spirit that God promises to come in us. That changes everything in our life. We acknowledge, we believe, we commit that. That's how we begin this amazing journey of all of those other letters of the gospel, all those other images that we are going to share in the weeks to come, begin with justification. Here's the challenge of the gospel. It always demands a response. Jesus was talking to his disciples in Mark chapter 8, and he just asked them, Who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist. Eli-. They were throwing out all of these names. But Jesus cuts them off and he looks at them. I picture a little bit like Lombardi looking at his players. He goes, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And that is the question asked of every single one of us. The words we have heard this morning, today, they call us to a response in some way. For you, your response may be, thank you, God, that you have come into my life, that the journey has begun for me. In fact, it may have been happening for a long time, and you are almost brought to a point of worship in a fresh way as you see God deepening your journey, the reality of the gospel in your life. Perhaps your response is, I'm on my way towards Jesus. I I don't know that I've begun with Him, but I am exploring it. I am seeking it. I, I, I want it. I'm just not there yet. If that is you, I want to say keep going because God is doing an amazing thing in your life. If there's questions, if there's barriers, talk to your friends, your Christian friends. Talk to your pastors. We want to partner with you in that journey because God is doing something amazing. Perhaps for you, this is a day when, as Jesus entered the scene and said, Repent and believe the kingdom has now come. It's here. You have, that has just entered into your life, maybe for the first time today. Scripture says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If you would just open the door, I will come in and have communion with you. We will be in relationship with each other. If you are opening that door, if you are confessing that great confession this morning, then heaven rejoices, and we rejoice with you. The other response that I can think of is that you can leave here and reject it all. Like the thief on the cross who who cursed Jesus like the Pharisees, religious leaders, and others who just couldn't have Jesus, and so they had to push him away to get him out of their life. You can leave here with that response as well. I pray that it's not so, because you are here today, and there's a reason you're here. So hang in there and give God another chance. But make no mistake, all of us are called to respond. In fact, you probably have in some way already. I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I want to invite you that sometimes we have you just internalize it, but there's times when you feel like you just need to move to make a movement. At the end of our service, Rick Glyman, myself, we'll have some other elders in our prayer team. We'll be in the Oak Room. If you just want someone to pray with you, if you just want to share where you're at in the journey, certainly if you said, I think God has come into my life today, we just want to encourage you to celebrate that with you, to follow up, if it's not today and you want to reach out to me or one of our other pastors, like we just want to support your journey and help you start well. Because this is an amazing day because the gospel has been proclaimed. Friends, welcome to the gospel. Welcome to the foundation of your faith. Would you pray with me? God, we stand in awe of your love, your grace, your mercy, to the story that you have authored in our own history, leading us to the moment today where we could share and talk about good news, not just to get it in our head, but God, it touches our heart, it touches our very soul. And so God, as we respond to you in our own way, I just pray that you would meet each of us right where we are. For those that are in gratitude, God, wrap your arms around them for those that are seeking you or for the first time have received you, God. I just pray they will feel your presence in a way they never have before because heaven is rejoicing. God, thank you for your gospel. Thank you that it impacts and changes our life, that we are made new through you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.